Now, when we hear the third noble truth, we are encouraged, right? First, Buddha said, oh, it is all dukkha. So it is very depressing. But Buddha also said, oh, there, there is a cause of dukkha. I have found the cause of dukkha. And this dukkha can be cured. This dukkha can, can, can cease. Then we are encouraged. And then what we will ask Buddha? The Buddha is now saying, there is dukkha, there is the cause of dukkha, and there is the cessation of dukkha. And we want to get out of this dukkha. So, what question will we ask the Buddha? Yeah, how can we stop suffering? How can we achieve cessation of suffering? Or what must we do to, to get cessation of suffering? Right? So, if you are a patient and the doctor says you have this disease and there is a cause for the disease, this disease can be cured, what is the next question? Uh, uh, what medicine must I take? Right? <laughs> what is your prescription? Right? So, as a prescription, Buddha gave us the fourth noble truth. And the fourth noble truth has a long name. Uh, what is the n- name of the fourth noble truth? The noble truth of the way leading to cessation of suffering. So, the noble truth of the way. So, in, in brief, we call it Magga Satya. Magga truth. Now, I want you to be familiar with the Pali, Pali terms of these four noble truths. The first is Dukkha. The second is Dukkha Samudaya. And the third is Dukkha Niroda. And the fourth is a long name. Dukkha Niroda Kamini Patibada. Dukkha Niroda Kamini G A M I N I and then Patibada P A T I P A D A G. Dukkha Niroda Kamini Patibada. G A long long A. Kamini Patibada. So, Dukkha means suffering, right? Niroda means cessation. So, Dukkha Niroda means cessation of suffering. Kamini means going, actually. Going to cessation of suffering. And Padibada means practice or way. So, the practice that goes to the cessation of suffering. Here also the language is figurative. Actually, it does not go to cessation of suffering, it does not go to Nibbana, but it takes Nibbana as object. So, taking Nibbana as object is described here as going. So, the word leading to may not be accurate. Leading to the cessation of suffering and going to cessation of suffering. I think going to cessation of suffering is better. That means that goes to the cessation of suffering, that takes cessation of suffering as object. So this is the prescription, this is the medicine Buddha gave uh, to the patient of uh, Dukkha disease. And this prescription is made up of eight 
ingredients. Now, when a, a doctor makes medicine, nowadays they don't make, they, they just give you from the bottle. But in the olden days, they have to prepare the medicine for themselves. Then they may mix the ingredients, uh, two ingredients, three ingredients, and so on, and then they will give it to the patient. So here also Buddha gave us this medicine, the fourth noble truth medicine, and it is made up of eight ingredients. So there must be eight things in this medicine. And what are those eight? Mm-hmm. They are called eight factors of path. Now go to 75. Oh no, no, I mean, uh, the beginning of yesterday's or uh, they may not be given in full because it is so familiar uh, with the readers that they will just give one or two and then like ellipsis. Mm-hmm. Samaditi and so on, right understanding? Eight, right. Mm-hmm, right. So if you go to 75, you will find them in detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, 70, 76, Right view, uh, that is number one. Now uh, you can you can write them down. One, right view. Two, I think you 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 write the oh, you don't have the pali there. No, okay. Then the second one, right thinking or right thought. And number three, uh, right speech. Number four. Number five. Right livelihood. Okay. Number six, right effort. Number seven, right mindfulness. And number eight, right concentration. So these are the eight ingredients that make up the fourth noble truth. The noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. And these eight are called by a popular name. And that name is Eightfold Path. Noble Eightfold Path. Eightfold means consisting of eight things. So these eight ingredients as a group are called the fourth noble truth. The noble truth of the way that leads to the cessation of suffering. So number one is what? Right view. Right view means right understanding. There can be different kinds of right understanding. And as, as the fourth noble truth, they must all arise at the moment of enlightenment. They must all arise with Magga consciousness. So when the Magga consciousness arises, it arises with many mental states many mental factors. Actually, there are 36 of them, and among them, there are these eight mental factors. They are called Chetasikas. And these eight mental factors are called Magga, actually. Path. So the name Path is the name of these eight taken together. And and, uh, each one of them is called the factor of path. 
So you, you should understand path, factor of path, and path consciousness. What is path? What is path? Eight factors as a whole. Hmm? A, a group of eight factors, or sometimes it may be seven. Let us say just eight. So a group of uh, eight factors is called path, or in Pali, Maga. And each one of them is called a factor of path, or path factor. And consciousness that these factors accompany is called path consciousness. So you should understand clearly these three. Path, path factor, path consciousness. A consciousness accompanied by these factors. So right view really means knowledge, panya. Right view means uh, right knowledge or right understanding or wisdom, panya. And this panya here eradicates the ignorance. So when it eradicates ignorance, it eradicates other mental defilements as well. So if you read uh, 76, you will find that. Can, can you read uh, 76? <clears throat> right. So now you see, right view takes Nibbana as object. Huh? It mentions there. And it is wisdom or understanding. So when we say right view, we mean the understanding. Or in Pali, it is Panya. And here, since it arises with Maka consciousness, it eradicates all mental defilements. And the, the, the ignorance is at the head of these mental defilements. So here, right view means right understanding. That eradicates mental defilements and that takes Nibbana as object. Now, 77. Yeah, right thinking here means, again, a mental state that arises at the moment of enlightenment. Since it is right thinking, it abolishes wrong thinking. Wrong thinking means thinking, thinking to, to harm other, to, to kill others, to harm others, and so on. And there is one word what, that is very important. You can read it again. Right. Direction of the mind on Nibbana. Okay. Now, the, 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 this factor, right thinking or right thought, as, as it is translated in English, is actually misleading. Huh? Because when it is called right thought, you must be thinking something like that, right? But here, right thought means not thinking. At the moment of enlightenment, there is no thinking, uh, no thinking as as we, we as uh, as we ordinarily think. There is the activity of mind, but it is not not thinking about this thing or that thing. So this, the the right thought here means a mental factor that directs the mind or that takes the mind to the object and put it on the object, directing the mind to the object, right? Actually, not just directing, 
Directing means you may you may show someone to go to some place, right? Say you you may point your finger and say go to that building, and you may not take him there. Yeah? But here, directing means not just uh, giving directions, but taking that uh, taking the the mind and putting it on the object. So this mental factor is an important factor. If it does not take the mind and put it on the object, how can mind take the object? Suppose I am visiting this this city, right? I don't know uh, where to go. Then somebody takes me and uh, put me in, in a place where I want to go. Without him, I cannot go there. And I will not experience that place, right? So in the same way, this mental factor takes the mind and put it on the object here, Nibbana. So when mind is put on the object, then mind can experience that object. So that mental factor that takes the mind and put it on the object is what is called right thought here. Not 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 just thinking. Okay. So if it does not put the mind on the object, mind cannot be on the object and so mind cannot know the object, right? So it is beneficial to right view. Right view can understand or uh, or uh, see nibbana only when the mind is put on the object. So that is why these two are grouped together, and they are called a group of wisdom. The eight factors will be grouped into three, okay, later on. In the next hour I will explain it to you. So there will be three groups. These eight will be divided into three groups. So the first group consists of these, the, these first two, the right view and right thought. And right thought is grouped together with right view as the group of wisdom because it is beneficial to wisdom. That means if it does not take the object and put it on the, I mean, it, if it does not take the consciousness and put it on the object, there can be no understanding, there can be no right view. So these two are grouped together as belonging to the group of wisdom. So now you got the first First two. What is the what is number one? Right view and number two? Right thinking, right thought. Now number three is right right speech. <clears throat> and right speech actually means abstention from wrong speech. Abstention from wrong speech. Now when you say I take the precept of abstention from wrong speech, there is this factor, samawaja, right speech. So right, right speech really means abstention from wrong speech. And you know the wrong speech? How many wrong speeches are there? <laughs> huh? Yeah, one more. Uh, yes. Harsh speech, harsh speech. And idle talk. Yeah. 
These are called wrong speech. So abstention from wrong speech is called right speech. And the next one, right action means abstention from wrong action. There are three wrong actions mentioned in the books. And what are these three? No, you will not find in the book. <laughs> right. So abstention from these three things is called in, in, in Pali Samakamanta, right action. And then the third one, right, right livelihood. Right livelihood is abstention from wrong livelihood. Now there are some traits that, that are said to be wrong, like selling weapons, selling poisons, selling liquor and so on. So they are called wrong livelihood. So abstention from wrong livelihood is called right livelihood. And for monks, right livelihood means acquiring requisites by, by lawful means. That means the monks are not to tell fortune, the monks are not to give medicine, to act like doctors and so on. To, to get donations from people, no? so they, they must go out for arms, picking up their bowls and go out for arms and so on. So this uh, the, the the third one, right livelihood means abstention from wrong livelihood. And also there is one thing you need to understand regarding these three. The first one is abstention from wrong speech, the second one is abstention from wrong action, and the third one is <coughs> abstention from wrong livelihood. Now there is another meaning to them. If you abstain from wrong speech, just abstain from wrong speech, then there is uh, right speech in your mind, this factor. But suppose your your livelihood is telling lies. Let us say you 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 tell lies to to earn a living. So you, your way of uh, livelihood is telling lies, and then you abstain from telling lies. Then what will happen? What will arise? The first one or the third one? <laughs> yeah? If you abstain from lying ordinarily. Lying that is not your livelihood, then you are having right speech. But if you abstain from lying, which is your livelihood, then you are having a, a right livelihood. So there, there is this difference. Suppose a fisherman, right? So his livelihood is killing fish. So if he abstains from killing fish, he he gets not right action, but right livelihood. Because it is his livelihood, and he abstains from his livelihood, which is, in his case, killing. But a person, sometimes a person goes for fishing for fun, and then somebody tells him that it, it is not good to do, and then he abstains from killing. Then he gets right, right action. So, right speech and right, act, right action are abstentions from the 
the wrong action and wrong speech, that is not one's livelihood. But if, if these are his livelihood and he abstains from them, then he, he, he gets the right livelihood and not the first two. So that, that is also important. So although the, the name is right, li- uh, right speech, right action, and right livelihood, the real meaning to understand is abstention. That is why they are grouped as sila. Sila group. These three are grouped as sila. Then we come to the next group. What is the next? After right livelihood, there is 81. Right effort. Right effort means making effort. Right effort cuts off laziness. Right? You may find that in 81. Right? 81? <laughs> yes. So, actually the making effort. Making effort is called right effort. The making effort means here getting rid of laziness, getting rid of idleness, and uh, and making effort for the for the abandoning of Akusala uh, already arisen, and also for not doing Akusala that has not yet arisen, and and making effort to to do Kusala that uh, you have not practiced before, and also making effort for the development of the Kusala that you have done. So there are four aspects of right effort. Uh, two regarding Akusala and two regarding Kusala. Now, Akusala, let us say Akusala. You have done some Akusala. And then you try to get rid of that Akusala that has already arisen in you. So that is one kind of effort. And another effort is to uh, to refrain from doing kusala that you have not done before. Uh, let us say old, old akusala and new akusala. Right? To get rid of old akusala, one effort. And not to do new akusala, that is another kind of effort. Similarly with kusala. To do kusala, that is that you have not done before, and to do again and again the kusala you have done before. So trying in that way, making effort in that way, is called right effort. And after right effort, there is right mindfulness. Now you you know right mindfulness very well, don't you? <laughs> you, you practiced mindfulness before? Very good, yes. So, mindfulness means what? You know what mindfulness is? (laughs) To be mindful. (laughs) To be fully aware. To be fully aware of the object is what we call mindfulness. So, in order to be mindful, uh, you make notes, right? When you see something, you say, seeing, seeing, seeing. 
You know, when the, every moment is rising, you say rising, rising, and when it falls, falling, falling, right? So that means you are trying to be mindful. You are trying to be mindful of the rising and falling of the abdomen. You are trying to be mindful of uh, the seeing, hearing, and so on. So my, to be mindful means to be fully aware of the object, not superficial awareness. It must be a deep awareness. And it is also called not losing the object. When you have good siddhi, you do not lose the object. If you have no good siddhi, you lose the object and that is why you forget. Sometimes we forget many things. When we forget, that thing is not in our mind. We have lost it, right? So siddhi is opposite of that. When there is siddhi, you do not lose the object. The object is with you. <coughs> so siddhi is one of the eight factors. And then the last one is called right concentration. So concentration means mind having one object. Mind not going to different objects, but mind being on one object. So that is what we call right concentration here. So now we get the last three. The first one is what? Right effort. Second one, right mindfulness. And the third one, right concentration. These three are grouped as concentration group. In the beginning you write down the, you wrote down the eight factors. You can mark, make marks there. One and two, what? Wisdom. Yeah. One, two, one, two, three, four, five. Three, four, five. Sila. And six, seven, eight. Concentration group. So in this group, what is prominent is concentration. But concentration cannot arise if there is no mindfulness. Now you must you must make note of it. Now, when you practice with meditation, you need to get mind. Uh, you need to get concentration. In order to get concentration, you must have mindfulness. If you are not mindful, if you do not practice mindfulness, you cannot get concentration. And in order to be mindful, you have to make effort. If you do not make effort, you cannot be mindful. So, in order to be mindful, you say, seeing, 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 hearing, hearing, rising, falling, rising, falling, and so on. So, you have to make effort to be mindful, and only when you are mindful can you get concentration. So, this group has concentration as the prominent factor, but the other two are also included in this group. Not that they are concentration but they help the concentration. So, these two help concentration. That means you have to practice effort and mindfulness to get concentration. So, these three are group as concentration group. So, let us go back to the eight, eight factors. There are eight factors, and the first factor is right view, and second, right thought. The right thinking, and the third, right speech, fourth, right action, fifth, 
right livelihood sixth, right effort seventh, right mindfulness and eighth, right concentration. And then the groupings. Number one and two, wisdom, yes, good. Can you tell me without looking at your notes? Yes, you're good. <laughs> Concentration group, right? Okay. Now, although the, the, the order given here begins with right view, right? When you practice, you begin with three, four, five. Three, four, five, and then six, seven, eight, and then, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, three, four, five, and then six, seven, eight, and then one, two, like that. Because you begin with sila, huh? and then through sila, and back there you practice uh, samadhi, and then you reach panya. So the the order of practice is to begin with uh, right speech and so on. Now that is why. When you practice meditation, it is important that your sila is pure. If you do not have purity of sila, you cannot hope to get concentration. Because if your sila is not pure, you have self-blame. Say you blame yourself. Oh, I, uh, my sila is not pure. Uh, I have done this wrong thing and that wrong thing and so on. And so thinking about that is called um, remorse. So that remorseful thinking can interfere with your practice. Now when you practice meditation, you want to be very, very pure. You want to keep your mind very pure. And it is the time when these thoughts come to you, interfere, uh, with your meditation. So you cannot meditate well and so you cannot get concentration. So it is important that you first practice purity of sila. The, the middle three. Right, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Now, how do you achieve purity of sila? What must you do to get purity of sila? Hmm? <laughs> huh? Okay, you take precepts, right? Panadibata, Viramanisika, Padang Samadhyami, and so on. So, you take the precepts and you keep them, then your moral contact or sila is pure. So, to purify your sila, before you, you practice meditation, you take precepts. And after taking precepts, you can be sure that your sila is pure. You don't have to worry about impurity of sila in the past. But right at this moment, your sila needs to be really pure. So in order to purify your sila right at this moment, what must you do? Take precepts and keep them. So that is one important thing or preliminary action you have to do before you practice meditation. After you are sure that your sila is pure, 
you can begin with your practice of meditation. You can begin with the practice of uh, mindfulness. So you make effort and so on. So these eight are grouped into three, sila, samadhi, and panya. Now why are there three steps instead of just one? Why are there three? Why are uh, the, the path to enlightenment described on these three steps? Why are there three steps? <laughs> eh? You are not sure. Okay. Now, in order to attack the three levels of mental defilement, these three steps are given by the Buddha. Let us say, we are, we, are, we are fighting a battle, right? There are three kinds of enemies. So Buddha gave us the weapons that we can attack, that we can kill these three kinds of enemies. They are different, different kinds of enemies. So now we have mental defilement. Huh? You have mental defilements, I have mental defilements. There are three levels of mental defilements. The f uh, let us say the, the first level is called the latent, latent level, not sleeping level we may call it. That means they lie latent in our minds. They do not come up yet, but they lie uh, sleeping, let, let us say sleeping in our minds. That is one level. And the next level is, now they come up, they arise in our minds. So, arising level. And then, after they come up, we may act upon them. Suppose I am angry, and through anger I will attack somebody, I will even kill somebody. So, that means I reach the stage of transgression. So, there are three levels. Uh, latent level, arising level, and transgression level. Latent level we all have because we are liable to, to get angry, we are liable to be attached to things and so on. In order to attack, in order to deal with the transgression level, <clears throat> Buddha gave us sila. Suppose there is an occasion for you to kill a living being, but you have taken the precepts. So you abstain from killing the living being. So killing means transgression. So that transgression level mental defilement you are able to prevent by sila. So, so long as you have taken the precepts and you keep them, you will not come to transgression. You can prevent transgression. You may not kill, uh, you will not steal, you will not practice sexual misconduct and so on. <clears throat> so in order to deal with that transgression level, Buddha gave us sila. So long as you have taken the precepts and keep them, you, you can prevent that transgression level mental defilements. You understand? But that is not enough for us to reach enlightenment. In order to reach enlightenment, we have to, we have to clean our minds of the mental defilements. 
So suppose we have sila, and so we do not kill, we do not steal. But although we, we do not kill, we do not steal, in our minds, sometimes we may have desire to kill. Or I will get angry, or I will want to possess other people's property and so on. So, in order to avoid such mental defilements from arising in our minds, Buddha gave us the samadhi level. When you practice meditation, how can these mental defilements arise in your mind? Now you are making notes as rising, falling, rising, falling, or seeing, hearing, touching, sitting, and so on. So when you are making these notes, how can these mental defilements arise in your mind? There is no, no chance for them to arise. So by practicing vipassana, I mean, by practicing samadhi, by practicing meditation, you are keeping them, these mental defilements, a little distance away from you. You are preventing them from arising in your mind. You are preventing them from coming up on the, to the surface of your mind. So that you can do only with meditation or samadhi. So in order to deal with the second level of, of mental defilement, the arising level, Buddha gave us the samadhi practice. So with samadhi, let us say, now we are able to, to keep them from arising. But still, we have liability to anger and so on. Because when there are conditions, they will come up again. Although, when we are practicing meditation, uh, they, they do not come up. And after meditation, when there are conditions for them to arise, then they will arise because we have not eradicated uh, these mental defilements altogether. We, have, we still have the liability to get angry, to get attached to, to, to things. So in order to deal with that deepest uh, level of mental defilements, Buddha gave us Panya, wisdom. Only by wisdom can the mental defilements or can the latent level of mental defilements be eradicated. Now you go back to 76. What do you find there? Ignorance. Latent ignorance or something. The, the eye of wisdom, right, inherent, inherent what? Yeah, so that inherent tendency means that deepest level. Mm. So that means, although it is not arising now, it is lying deep in our mind, ready to come up whenever there is the condition for them. It is like fire in the match, a box of matches. Now, there is actually no fire in the box of matches, right? If there is fire, it will be burning now. But it has the potential to burn. And then you, 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 you strike the stick there and then there is, there is fire, right? So we may say that the, the matchbox has the potential to, uh, to burn. But it is not burning now. So the condition is striking. So you strike a match and then there is fire. So in the same way, the, 
although although they are not present in our minds, we have this liability to get angry and so on. We have this inherent tendency of uh, ignorance, attachment, anger, and so on. So in order to attack that deepest level, we have to practice vipassana. We have to practice panya. So only panya can eradicate that deepest level of mental defilements. That is why these three steps are taught by the Buddha. So in order to attack the three levels of mental defilements, Buddha gave us these three levels of practice. And these three levels are sila level, samadhi level, and panya level.